Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And you need it now. Give us a call now and we'll create a plan of action for you that we guarantee will work. Stop the harassing phone calls. Stop the threatening letters. Stop wage garnishments. Stop any bank levies. And most importantly, put an end to your tax nightmare once and for all. If you have a tax debt of $10,000 or more, call the tax pros at United United Tax Fix today. Representatives are standing by to assist you. Call 800-678-7027. 800-678-7027. That's 800-678-7027. Call now. If you have ever thought about remodeling your bathroom but were worried it would take too long or cost too much, then stop worrying. Right now, Jacuzzi Bath Remodel has designed a collection of high-quality custom products and perfected the one-day remodeling experience so you can enjoy your new bathroom faster than ever before. It's a worry-free bath remodel from the most trusted brand name in the business, Jacuzzi. A Jacuzzi Bath system fits in your existing tub space. It's a no-mess installation with an amazing style selection, factory-certified installers, and a limited lifetime Warranty. Call 800-763-8517. That's 800-763-8517. Right now and get 50% off installations with no interest and no payments for 12 months. Replace that old bathtub today with a walk-in shower for a safer bathing experience. If you have lived in your home for over 15 years, it's time to remodel your bathroom for a virtual or in-home appointment. Call 800-763-8517. That's 800-763-8517. 800-763-8517. Attention Medicare beneficiaries. Are you getting all the benefits you need? If you have Medicare, you may now be able to get new benefits. Benefits may include eyeglasses, wellness visits, gym membership, meal delivery, and hearing aids with low copay. To find out which benefits you qualify for and to find out if you're getting the benefits that you deserve, you need to call Best Medicare. Our licensed insurance agents can look up your current benefits and tell you what additional benefits are available to you. It's easy. Just one call. Tell us the deductible you prefer, the doctors you want to see, and if you want prescription drug coverage. The service is free and you have no obligation. You may even find plans with zero monthly plan premiums, zero co-pays on many services, and zero deductibles. You deserve every medical care coverage benefit out there and we'll help you get them. Call 800-991-7014. 800-991-7014. That's 800-991-7014. And let Best Medicare do the work for you. Welcome to the world famous Jiggy Jaguar radio program. Born uncut, Jiggy Jag, you know how you do it. You know what I'm saying? Keeping it all the way live. Broadcasting live from Hutchinson, Kansas. Well, I'm sitting here with a linguist. I had a no idea. <laughs> I love I didn't that. know you were a but I didn't know that you were a wordsmith. <laughs> Call Jiggy right now. 267 22 Jiggy. Jiggy Jag TV, and uh, see if you might pick up there. Thank you very much. 
Jiggy Jaguar. I never knew what freedom was until I saw you lose yours. Okay. <laughs> I, I just don't even know what to say anymore at this point. So we are going to go to Dan Perkins. We're going to go to IQ Al We are going to go to them. But before we do that, let's tell you about one of our brand new marketing partners at Transmedia Worldwide. They sent in this ad. Here it is, my friends. Hi. Cute dimples. Is that your best pickup line? No pickup line, just complimenting your dimples. Oh, well, in that case, you have nice dimples, too. Did you know July 9th is National Dimples Day? Check out the website, nationaldimplesday.com. It's a fun site. National Dimples Day? Hmm, nationaldimplesday.com. Got it. May I buy you a cup of coffee? I feel something brewing between us. Sure. <laughs> the Jiggy Jaguar Radio Program, every afternoon on the network, coast to coast and border to border. Keep up with Jiggy online at jiggyjaguar.com. Okay, apparently National Dimples Day is a thing. I was not aware of that. So, we are going to do this. We are going to go to our first guest. We have got a great guest we are going to go to. Um, and we are going to go to our first guest going to find them Hello. Judith, how are you? It's James Lowe calling you for your uh, radio hi, interview. James. I'm how are you, my called, friend? Right. Yes, indeed. How are you? I'm good. Are we going to do this uh, by Zoom or by radio? I was. Um, uh, well, we don't do anything via Zoom. Uh, we've got you here on the phone, so I'll probably go ahead and just keep you here on the phone. So okay, that's fine. Whatever you want. I am like going to get James or Jim. You could call me whichever you would like. I'm going to get Dan <laughs> Perkins on here, who is our uh, who is our co-host, and IQ Rizzoli, and uh, we will. As they say, jump off the good foot and do the bad thing. So we are going to get uh, IQ and Dan in here. And uh, as soon as we have both of them, we will uh, get Okay, things. who was that besides Dan? Uh, IQ Al-Razzoli is his name. And both of them have joined <laughs> with us. I don't us. Have to remember that. <laughs> there we are. We've got Dan and we've got IQ. And our first guest joins us today via the telephone. Uh, she is Judith Peck. She is an author. And um, she describes the essence of her book as how to set up a program in which often marginalized populations can find life-affirming personal expression, creating art with college students. And her brand new book is called Art and Social Interaction. So, Judith, tell me and IQ and Dan a little bit more about your book here, and then I know that uh, Dan will have some questions for you, and so will IQ. 
Excellent. I'm happy to tell you about the book. Uh, it's uh, actually almost 50 years in operation, uh, believe it or not, and uh, it was well before its time, and it still is a little before its time. It's a magic mix, really, of uh, creating art and having informal social interaction so that the students learn about uh, things they would never have known before by not contacting, you know, these people that are in these situations. We're talking about jails, uh, psychiatric hospitals, shelters for domestic abuse, uh, and... and um, um, nursing homes and people uh, with uh, uh, frailties like that, uh, they learn about crime, old age, mental illness, drug abuse, and all these things by actually coming one-on-one -on -one with these people and by sharing artistic experiences. So, you know, having something on paper and looking at it and sharing is altogether different than eyeballing somebody and say, tell me about your problems. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so, Dan, uh, you're an author. Uh, for uh, I, I know you probably got some questions here for Judith. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. So I, I, I want to ask a question to make sure that I understand what you're saying. Sure. What, what is, I thought I heard you say that art... I'm interpreting, so please, please be with me. You're saying that art therapy is more rewarding and successful than talk therapy. <laughs> no, I wouldn't go so far as to say that because, first of all, it's such a huge umbrella, uh, talk therapy, if you want to call it that. I mean, you know, these are experts who know how to approach a, uh, a patient. But what I am saying is that when you have something on paper and you're sharing it, you can begin to go into personal experiences, achievements that were uh, made but long gone, self-esteem sort of gone with the wind, you know. And so let me give you an example. Let's say a student is sitting next to uh, a, um, an elderly, a nursing home patient, and uh, a tree emerges on the paper. One or the other has produced it. And then one might say to the other, gee, I remember having a tree like that in my backyard. I think, uh, uh, and the other person might say, oh, yeah, and there was a swing next to it in my backyard. We used to go on that swing. Uh, my first boyfriend, I remember, and I swing. There are all kinds of things in, that can emerge like that. So we're not talking art therapy per se because my students are not art therapists and that is a profession that takes a lot of training. Uh, they are doing therapeutic art in that sense but they are not art therapy so I don't want to engage in the nomenclature of uh, you know those therapies. So, I hope that answers your question a little well, bit. You're, you're, you're getting closer. Um, <laughs> okay Dan, um, fire away. <laughs> with veterans. Uh, with with traumatic brain injury and PTSD and, and sleep deprivation and suicidal tendencies. And um, um, a lot of the facilities that I've worked with, um, art th is in a very important part of the therapy for the veteran to try and recover from these uh, issues. And, and, and so, uh, oh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm very happy to hear that you're using that. Oh. Yeah, um, we're using music more than music, actually more than art. As a matter of fact, um, uh, music has been found by the Department of Defense and Veterans Affairs to be one of the best therapies to deal with sleep deprivation and suicide prevention. 
and mm -hmm. we have a program that we we provide access to three million songs and custom design music to get sleep uh, into REM level sleep. But setting that aside, I, I'm so so again just I'm trying to follow what's going on in your example. Yes. Well, Yes, would you want me to explain it a little bit further? Because I really only gave you a sentence of it. Uh, would you like me to s tell you a little bit more about Please. what that would be fantastic. is happening? Is, yes. yes. Yeah, there's a certain vitality uh, that uh, happens when a young person, uh, 18, 19, 20 or so, college student, uh, is listening and learns how to listen and uh, also is interested in the individual they're working with. And so that is the exchange, the social exchange we're talking about. They're trained in that approach. They're not trained uh, as you are and, and all that in a, uh, you know, through a master's and doctoral programs and all these uh, uh, academic uh, lines of inquiry, but they are trained in how to do spontaneous art, art that will bring out the past that people have uh, ex experienced. They're not only the intimate experiences, but also the self-esteem they had. They were virile, and they were uh, physically agile, and they had all the things that God gave them in the beginning, and which they, many have lost, you know, in all mm -hmm. these uh, areas. That I mentioned. And so that vitality on paper, when you see things that emerge on the paper, uh, and then uh, that can be talked about and brought to the surface, that sort of helps this, um, this therapy along, if you want to call it therapy. So uh, that's it's it's not it's not as intense as you're describing. It does have to do with music certainly and and dance and in fact I have a book coming out by Rutledge later this year on movement and how a movement can you know do these things. Uh, but uh, it's the exchange and it's the listening and the conversing uh, by seeing something on paper and going forward with that. Who that, in, that, in, a, in a group setting? Who would? It's always in a group setting. Yes. Go on. Who would put the first image on the paper? They're side by side, so that there might be a theme. They might start with a scribble, and out of the scribble will start to emerge some things. They might do a watercolor, uh, in which case together. They were all working together. The student will show them how to begin in terms of, for example, in a watercolor, taking a square of watercolor paper, taping it down on a paper uh, evenly with masking tape so that it will make a border when it's uh, undone, and then mixing paints and letting the flow go and going with the flow and just sort of loosening up that way and, and working with your environment in the sense that you, your hand, and the watercolors are all flowing together. And then a picture will be emerging. And then you let it dry, and when you take the masking tape off, it is framed beautifully. It always looks lovely. I don't think there's anything you can do not to make it look lovely. And then with a nice sharp pencil writing your name and your year, the year that you've made it, in the lower right-hand corner, you can't help but feel proud of yourself, and some level of esteem comes back, you know, of accomplishment. So this is just one example of how it all works together. So in other words, both are doing it together, though, in answer to your question, uh, although the student is leading uh, the, uh, I don't want to even call them clients, but I, we call them participants in the books because of, uh, you know, that they are not art therapists. <clears throat> so they are participants and they work together and out emerges something that uh, can be discussed. And how many people would be working on a particular painting? 
Oh, it's always one-on-one. There might be a group. It's always assigned by the institution. They would decide how many people uh, can be sustained in a group because they always have to be supervised in some fashion, although this supervisor stands apart from uh, this engagement. Uh, But it's always one-on-one, one one student working with one individual, Uh, although occasionally one student might work with two individuals, you know, if there are quite a lot, but always next to each other or opposite one another. So opposite from them so that they can see uh, together what each has been producing uh, on the paper or on the canvas or sometimes three-dimensionally. Do you ever have situations where a student will work or a patient, whatever the right term is, um, the patients will work together without a student? That's an interesting question. no, I don't think we do that. I think uh, this this it's the uh, it's the interaction of the student uh, with the uh, participant that sort of produces the magic. I think they might do them on their own. These art projects, uh, we encourage that that they do that. But I wouldn't be there when that's happening, and nor would the students. And where so it's not, in other words, Dan, it's not like a workshop where you teach people how to do something and then they go on to further their education in that. Uh, it's more interactive. And typically, where would the, the student be working on this project? What, what kind of a facility? Right. Well, there'd have to be a table uh, uh, provided. Uh, we have certain logistics that are all spelled out in the book, how to set it up. Uh, it doesn't need much space, uh, just a place uh, where a student could uh, work with uh, one person or a two, possibly three, but not more than that usually, uh, and uh, a table, a chair. Um, sometimes kids work on the floor. We've done that many times, work right on the floor with younger kids uh, in the nursing home. We have to have room for wheelchairs and things like that. Uh, so. Uh, every setting they have in the jail, we've worked in the dining room a lot in the jail situation. Um, so, but the institution decides the clientele that will attend. So you, leave that to them. you're doing you're, you're doing this in, um, if I heard you correctly, nursing homes, prisons or jails, classrooms, and schools. Is that, is that are those After school? Like after school, it might be in a classroom, but usually it's not. It's usually in some kind of uh, um, quickly put together <laughs> uh, surroundings of some kind. Who, who is, how, do, how do you one? How do you find the students, and then how do how does the student get the people that he the person he's going to work with? Who determines uh, that? Okay, well, that's all in the book, how we do that. We, uh, it, now it's run from a state college where I've been teaching. Uh, for uh, I was teaching for about 45 years there, and, uh, and we did it through a college course. It was a gen ed course, so that students got credit for it uh, under their gen ed uh, you know, requirements, which is good, although it was always taught by an art teacher. I am the art teacher. Now it's still ongoing, taught by someone else. Uh, so it could be taught by any social work teacher or art teacher uh, because the projects are all laid out, uh, you know, in the book, how to do this and how to get to the institutions, how to approach them, uh, how to find them, how to find the person in charge that would be able to uh, ascertain uh, the program 
sometimes acceptance in the facility. So all that is done by the leader of the program who would have the book to guide them uh, and the art students or social work students or law and society students. We we even had business students in the class because uh, they can learn how to be creative, and they all benefit learning, as I say, about the major domestic issues of our time and also learning how to do something for somebody else, getting out of your comfort zone and, uh, you know, being a volunteer. Uh, and, and then some actually decide to go into the helping professions. We've had many that do that because they're so excited by it. Good. Thank you. IQ Al-Rizzoli, uh, do you have any questions for Judith while we have her here? Yes. Have you thought of animal association? Because in many t cases, in, in, especially in Israel, they have post-traumatic problems also. But when they gave them animals, especially dogs, most of these people recovered, and not only recovered, they had animal companionship. They were not alone anymore. Anybody oh, that's fascinating. About that's interesting, IQ, that you say that, uh, yeah. because certainly uh, I believe in that, too. I think uh, animals you feel comfortable with. You also use all your senses, tactile as well, uh, sight, sound, smell, uh, touch, uh, what goes with the animals, and you get instant reciprocity. The animal appreciates what you do, that tail wags. <laughs> and also you feel the, the exchange of comfort. You're, you're petting him, but he is also looking up at you in that wonderful way that animals have. So I think that goes into what I'm doing as well, because the senses are engaged, all of the senses, uh, and we, we work to do that. Sometimes uh, our sculptural processes, which I didn't have time to go into to tell you more about that, but they go into the tactile experience as well. So uh, I appreciate what you're doing and what Dan is doing. Uh, these are excellent therapies, all of them. I'm, I'm hoping that the medical world will embrace some of these ideas as well, more so than they do already. The medical world is very, very slow and very cumbersome. It is. <laughs> it is. But doctors, uh, I mean, are on, uh, I don't know, they're on an echelon that sometimes don't want to, I would say, get their hands into this stuff. Uh, because uh, when we work with clay and also uh, messy materials like plaster and, and so forth, it's, um, it's a mess that brings people back to their youth and coming back to your youth where you had everything in front of you and not behind you uh, is an experience we want to engage people in as well you know we can pick up from there uh, all children used to make art when they were young even if they made mud pies you know or sand things uh, on the beach uh, images we all were used to doing that and uh, we can on to that creativity again when we're older and have the fruits of it because you can't help but feel better about yourself when you created something brand new that nobody has done before. <laughs> the children that you're dealing with, uh, how old are they? Uh, my students in the college uh, situation are usually 18 to about 21, uh, but the people that we engage with are all ages. We've worked with preschool children as well as veterans uh, in the veteran hospital and, of course, the frail elderly in the nursing homes, all ages. Uh, we've worked mothers with their children in the domestic abuse shelters. Uh, 
and uh, it gives them a time also to play with their children. Play is part of this, too. Uh, I think both of you, uh, I.J. and Dan, should uh, know this also. The sense of play and the sense of newness that goes with it, the sense of vitality, is engaged in the work that all of us are doing, both you and me, and, uh, and that's beneficial, uh, just on its face. Fantastic. Fantastic. I would love to see colleges, more colleges, pick this up. Uh, the students who have been engaged in, in this course, Art and Social Interaction, have said it was the most relevant course they've ever taken in their college career. Ninety percent were given a survey by uh, Dr. Roger Johnson uh, in TAS, therapy, uh, that's uh, Theoretical and Applied Science. And he found out from that survey that 90 percent had said that. So it is very, very beneficial. Uh, and it's a little scary because people who are not artists are a little afraid of, uh, you know, producing uh, a work of art. But these methods that are in the book make that easy and make that very spontaneous. Are you able to, compi comp to compile uh, results, statistical results? Well, you know, I have a chapter in the book, in the end of the book, that talks about evaluation. We were never able to do a controlled study. That was not, uh, in, in my teaching career, having courses to teach and, and this course and this program, there was never an opportunity to do that, but it should be done. It really should be done to see how this engagement, you know, uh, does help. We have lots of anecdotal experience there, and that's all recorded in the book, but nothing, no uh, controlled study. How about you, Dan? I have, a, I have a, as I've been listening, I have a question. Um, how long have you been doing this? We started in 1973, and we've been doing it ever since, and it's still wow. ongoing. So it's 50 years, <laughs> about, almost. So, okay. Um, and also, I guess the institutions themselves would have to want uh, to do this. Uh, I, we do have a reportage at the end of every semester. The, the people who are participated are asked certain questions, and, you know, we have recorded those kinds of things. Um, so, uh, but I would I love, you know, a study done on that. There's now a new movement about play and how important play is in terms of uh, the— uh, the brain activity, you know. So, um, in fact, some of that is in my newest book that's coming out in October. But uh, um, there's so much to learn, isn't there, about this whole feeling, about how to use these arts, how to use all of the arts, music, dance, uh, theater, and uh, visual art uh, to help people. Have you ever thought about the possibility of how many, in, since 1973, how many people have participated in your program? I guess I could do that. I certainly know how many students, because I still have the record of all my students who have participated. Uh, and um, I would be a little difficult to get the clientele uh, on that in terms of those numbers. I think that would be difficult. But what if not, what if, not unattainable? <laughs> like all of us are involved with, not unattainable but difficult. <laughs> so, what, what if you were to take the artists, and at the end of each year, how many students are enrolled in a pro, pro, your program currently? Uh, 
uh, well, I'm not teaching it. You know, I retired in 2014, so someone else is teaching it. And usually I would say uh, 15, about 15 students, you could say, for each uh, semester that it's done. Sometimes it's done uh, for one semester. Sometimes it's done for two different semesters. So uh, uh, we would have to tally that. But uh, why is that important now uh, do you, in your thinking to find out the numbers? Because what I was going to suggest that we might, you might want to consider the possibility of a particular institution that has students who are working in this program with uh, individuals, that the results at the end of the year be published in a book. Well, I publish though <laughs> this book, Art and Social Interaction, certainly is the book that talks about the program, but it does not have the numbers. I mean, I can compute the numbers. No, that's that's I'm, not what I'm, that's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is that if you've got 15 children, adults, whoever, that are con con contributing to the art, the development of arts and pictures in a year, they'll produce X numbers of images. I'm suggesting that one span the use of the pro is to take those images for a year and bind them into a book that can then be sold or can be given away to people, to corporate sponsors to want to continue expanding yeah, the program. I see. Well, that's very interesting. The thing is, we don't have the images anymore because the images are all with the participants. They keep them. Uh, now, uh, in, uh, that's another thing, by the way, that has improved self-esteem, especially youth who we work with in the homes for abused children. They are allowed to put those things up on their walls, which makes a whole other added, uh, you know, benefit to this program. They see it when they go to sleep, what they have done, just like a, nor a child who hasn't been in such a terrible situation might see his work on the refrigerator at home. These people don't have homes, many of them, to go back to. And so we have that, that added impulse. But I don't have the artwork at all of what, uh, in, uh, what has been done. I do have some, and they're included in the book, uh, you know, uh, when we're for example, a, a jail inmate, uh, when they were asked to produce something that a place they want to be in 10 years, and this is a female inmate, she produced a Coke trip. <laughs> That's what she said it was when she described it. They all have to talk about their work afterwards. A Coke trip. Uh, my students had, and I, when I saw it, we had never seen what, it like, what it's like to have a Coke trip. And this was it. It was swirls and swirls of colored paint from the inside, swirling outwards in a circular fashion. It was fabulous. She was absolutely amazed when she saw it because she had never painted in her life, even as a kid, you know. And she was just amazed uh, that she could see this. And I don't know if it had any therapeutic effect on stopping her from using drugs later, but it sure was a whirlwind of activity for us all. But, but with today's, to technology, today's technology, all you got to do is take a picture. Put an iPhone. I know, I know, I know. But we weren't in today's technology and all those years to 2014. I'm when they, mm -hmm. I'm suggesting that perhaps you could have a conversation with the people who are in charge of the project now, 
No question about it. No you talk about, about recording it. the images before you give them back to the to the patient. Absolutely. And then aggregate the images together in a book that you can publish. And you can do it. You can do an iBook, uh, printed cop, printed book, for for not a lot of money. And and you've now taken the images which go and disappear. You've preserved them for posterity. You talk a little bit about each artist on the page when you put an image in, and then you have something that you can produce and sell to raise money and awareness for the project. Dan, it's fantastic. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it to the attention of the teacher who's doing it now. She's an adjunct. She is an art therapist, a registered art therapist, and so she may very well like that idea very much. I thank you for it. I will sure. do it. Thank you. So, so Judith, as we wrap up here with you, my friend, because I know that your time is limited with us, before we let you go, how do we get your book and get involved with everything you're doing and, and all that? Oh, thank you so much for asking that, James. Uh, my website uh, is uh, jpecksculpture.com. Uh, J Peck, P E C K, like uh, Gregory Peck, if anybody's old enough to remember that. Ah, <laughs> yes, that's fantastic. <laughs> right? uh, and uh, that's where all my images of my sculpture are, hundreds of images. But uh, the book Rutledge, R O U T L E D G, I guess you might have it on a screen someplace. Rutledge is the publisher. Uh, it's also available at Amazon and in Barnes and Noble, uh, you know, uh, online, uh, called Art and Social Interaction. But you can always access it by my name, too, Judith Peck. Um, and uh, I do have it on the website, iapbooks.com. That stands for Imagination Arts Publications. Uh, a lot of my nonfiction books on art activities are on that website as well. So imagination-arts.com or iapbooks.com. Thank you so much for asking that. And I hope people will access the book and also will think of taking on this as a course or being a volunteer to go into these places because the book is geared for volunteers too. Well, you are amazing. This has definitely been a, uh, a fantastic discussion here. Uh, thanks for making time for us today. Thanks for being on with us. And, well, uh, it was a good discussion only because of those wonderful guys, I.G. and Dan, who contributed so much and gave so oh, many don't, ideas. I'm don't, very grateful don't, for that. Don't let, don't let certain people hear that because supposedly, <laughs> Judith, and I got to get your opinion on this, Dan Perkins is supposedly the most dangerous man in radio, according oh, to, really? to a PR person. Uh, I, 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 uh, I, he sounded I, like a pussycat on the phone. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, Judith, thanks for doing this, my friend. I, I will talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Thanks for being part of our conversation today. And thank you very much. Thank you, Bye -bye. my friend. There she goes. That's Judith Peck. See, even Judith thinks Dan is a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> She got me on a good day. <laughs> got you on a good day. So, uh, so Dan, uh, why I why I try to get our next guest in here? Um, I know you have some thoughts about the Roe versus Wade thing, so I'm going to let you jump in there and uh, <laughs> share those with me and IQ before I get our next guest in here. I was telling IQ in the pre-show that I had an opportunity yesterday to interview Alan Parker. Alan Parker was, is an attorney, uh, 
who uh, filed the original um, amicus briefs on this round of Roe versus Wade, and um, um, was worked through his nonprofit foundation all the way through to the end. So it was a fascinating interview. Um, what he thinks is going on, what's going to happen. Um, so we're dealing with lies. The Democrats are lying to the American people about just exactly the same way they were lying about the legislation that was passed here in Florida when they characterize as, as um, anti-gay. And, and in fact, it was not. But they lied about it. They, they told they told them the, the lie and continued to tell it. Got Disney involved and other people. And um, it was a bad thing for them and for um, and for the people involved. And so I, I look at, you know, we, we have a, I really think a major turning point, Jim. Uh, you remember or may remember uh, when Donald Trump was running for president the first time, and one of the times that I was on your show, and I made the following statement. The election of 2016 is not about Donald Trump. It's not about jobs. It's not about unemployment <laughs> or oil. What it's about is naming judges to the court. Yes. And... I kept saying that, that that's the most important thing in this election, is that Donald Trump will have the ability to replace one or perhaps more federal judges on the, on the U.S. Supreme Court. But he replaced almost 300 local judges in the terms of uh, courts of appeal and, and district courts. And we're seeing the reaction to that in the gun, the New York concealed carry <laughs> overturn on Thursday, Roe versus Wade on Friday. Yep. And now they're talking about the possibly tomorrow or Thursday, we may get a significant discussion and opinion on climate change. About and time. So, huh? About time. <laughs> it, only, it only took 50 years to overturn Roe versus Wade. But, um, and so what's happening is that the message is, um, uh, the message out of last Friday's case are not being honest and fair. There was never abortion in the Constitution. It, it wasn't a right granted by the Constitution. The left just said it was, but it wasn't. And so even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the, the darling of the left, said that this was a bad piece of law. It was flawed, and it wasn't. And we got Clarence Thomas on Friday after the release of Roe versus Wade says that we should be looking at other pieces. He hopes that the court will be able to look at other decisions Built under the same consensus of the court legislating from the bench. Yep. And so um, this is a very, very important week in the United States of America. Well, and I know, you know a lot of. Honestly, I'm glad that they finally did something. <laughs> I 
because I I remember growing up with the Supreme Court, and you hear about the Supreme Court and everything, and they haven't really ever, you know, at least the last I don't know five six years have have they really done anything major? No. <laughs> No, they like, haven't. Like, what are we paying these people for? <laughs> well, we had the, the most major thing that they've done in, the, in recent time is Obamacare. Yeah. Where, yeah. where Justice Roberts rewrote the law and uh, under the Commerce Clause and made it legal, which was insane. So yes. I think that what's happening, what, what's, again, uh, what they're not talking about, and what I mean they, the left, what they're not talking about, Jim, is that what the court basically said that the decision of whether or not abortion should be legal is a state's issue. Yeah. And so what what the court is trying to do more and more is to try and let the states make the decisions on an individual basis, realizing that some states like New York will kill babies three days after they're born. Yep. Other states won't allow them to be killed at all. But that's what the, really the Constitution is about. It's, it's for the people. It's the people's decision. And the court is saying that it's up to the elected officials of the people, the official representatives, because the, the courts are not, the Supreme Court are not elected officials. And so what happened was, by the way they wrote their decision, they have extensively, basically, turned away any appeal from the states to the federal court. Because they opined that it's the responsibility of the states to write the laws and not for the Supreme Court or any federal court to create a situation where they're going to decide what should be. It's the people's rights. The, if you remember, if you had it in high school, I don't know whether you did or not, all the powers not illuminated in the document called the Constitution revert back to the people, not to the Supreme Court judges or anybody else. And if, if there, is, are, there are rights that have not been qualified, those rights and responsibilities accrue to the people. They go back to the people. And that's where everything comes from. So we've had a long history of the Democrats legislating from the bench all the way from the Supreme Court down. Donald Trump changed that. And he began to say, let's put people on the court that interpret the law as the law was written, not what not what they think the law should be, so they'll write it themselves. Now, we heard Elizabeth Warren yesterday say, well, we have to expand the number of judges. And we have people on the left threatening, still threatening the justices, and that, that, that they're, they're, quote, illegitimate. They're illegitimate. Where is the incitement? I want to understand. How is it possible that the 6th of January was incitement and what the leftists are saying and actually doing is not incitement? I want to know. Well, the, the, 
the January 6th still hasn't really been legally defined as to what it was. Was it, quote, an insurrection? I don't think so. No, of course. Why you don't think so? It was not. There were no armed people. Without arms, with your fist flailing, that's not an insurrection. Insurrection is a bloodbath. I know. I was in Iraq when we had one. They shot everybody down. Okay. So when you... I, look, <laughs> okay. I know you're legalistic, Dan. I know. You are legalistic. My legalistic, I learned from you. But I come to a conclusion that you go too far being legal. I like action. When somebody is threatening me, I cut his head off. I'm not going to go and debate him. Forget it. Well, that may work for you. It sure as hell don't work for me. I know, I know, I know. And because once you cut the head off, you can't put it back on. I don't want to put it back on. That's the whole point. <laughs> I don't want Take to Maxine. put it back on. Take Maxine Waters. Take uh, Ilhan Omar. Take Rashida Tlaib. Take any one of them. I would cut their head off without blinking. <laughs> and then go out for dinner. Uh, and have a steak. <laughs> <laughs> And, and a glass of wine. Red wine. Red wine. Red wine, definitely. That's right. Probably now a more you're, Anyway. Now you're talking. So, so the, point, the, yeah, the point is that, that I agree with you, IQ. I tend to look at things because, as I said to the attorney yesterday when we were, I, was, I said, you look, I'm not, a, I'm not an attorney, and I never played one on television. I'm just a practicing attorney. And, um, practicing attorney. I'm just, I'll give you my legal opinion, and then you can tell me what's wrong with it. And uh, most of the time, I work with so many lawyers in my life that I feel like I went to law school 12 times. That's but, awesome. But I, I do think that, that um, I think we are, hopefully, that may not seem like it much right now. I mean, I got to tell you this. I, well, let me finish the point and then give you the illustration. I believe that when the founders put this country together and the documents together, their intention was that we were going to be a nation of laws and that what was going to make us different than the royalties in Europe that we all came from is that we were going to have an opportunity to express ourselves, bring in elected officials and all those wonderful things. Uh, we've lost that. I mean, I don't know whether you saw this story, Jim. The first part of the story is two people were arrested in California, from Oregon, I guess, who had 150,000 fentanyl capsules. Wow. Enough, 150,000, enough to care, kill- A million. Uh, over a million people. They let them okay. go after two days. And they were out, out on the streets after two days. So tell me how, please. Please, explain it to me. You are the man of law and order. <laughs> I'm a man of law and order, which is different. I, I believe, yes, I am, a, I am a, man, a man of law and order. We just have people in the judicial system and in the legal system who don't believe that. How, how in the world you can allow two people that had all of these fentanyl drugs that were all illegal, that were brought into the country illegally, they were out on their own recognizance, like they're going to show up for the hearing. 
It's what on recognizance means. Their personal, there was no, there was no bail set up, nothing. They were released on their own recognizance when it comes time for them to, to go to trial. And yet they had enough to kill millions of people. Last year, there was um, 12,000 pounds of fentanyl, which is enough to kill the entire country. Yes. In, in one raid. And so what's happening is that we have, we have a law, and I, and I said this to the attorney yesterday, and I, I'm trying to answer your question, IQ. We have created a group of people who have decided that they get to decide what the law is, not what the process that we've had for a couple of hundred years. They get a chance to make the law. All those people in San Francisco who had their staged attacks to rob all the stores on the on the important streets or the Walgreens or CVS or whatever, and were just let them get away because we decided not to enforce the law. Prosecutors decided not to enforce the law because the prosecutors decided not to enforce the law. The police couldn't arrest them because there was nothing that they could do. So what happened was we had this situation in 2020 where the police came under attack. The mob on the left decided that we had to defund the police. We had to get rid of the police. They had no idea what they were talking about, except they decided we needed to defund the police. Now they found that there was probably a mistake there. And, and so, but, but I love the probability. Happened, what's happened is that we have we have lost respect for the law, we've lost respect for law enforcement, and we've lost respect for the legal system. We are in a situation of chaos, and the only way we're going to get rid of the chaos and bring law and order back to our country is we're going to have to hire a whole hell of a lot more police. And they're going to, and we're going to see more and more people arming themselves because the police at the moment are not functionally capable of protecting us. And people are people are just people are aware. The illegals are aware of the issue, and they know that they can use that to their advantage to rob, murder, and and kill people, steal their property, burn down their buildings. And there's, there's no retribution. There's no penalty to be paid. And so we have lost, we've lost our way in what the Founding Fathers told us they wanted to do to make a more perfect union, a better place, a shining star on the horizon. All those like, things that we talked about. And next week is the 4th of July. Yep. And... Um, and so we've stopped teaching our children in school the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, American history. We're, we have basically, in the last two to three years, demonized people who were involved in the founding of our, our country, the fighting of the great Civil War, and we've taken them out of history, And but we didn't replace them with anything. So if you, if you, don't allow to teach the good, the bad, and the ugly equally, and you only pick one you're going to choose, 
you don't you no longer have a democracy. And I think that that's part of the problem is that we have so many sectors in our country that have decided they get to decide what's going on, whether it's the classroom teachers who are deciding what's going to be taught in critical race theory and, and, and sexual orientation. Um, we have we have lost our way, and and it's not because we have Republicans in office. It's because we've had Democrats, socialists, communists in office, and they have they have the, controlled the environment, whether they had the minority or the majority in terms of Congress or the White House. And I look at it and I say to myself, Wow, we have the ability for the Democrats to decide that they're not going to protect the lives of Supreme Court justices because they are Republicans and because they're conservatives. Yep. That's what they're doing. And they're saying, we don't have to, we don't have to, the, the chief law enforcement officer in the United States, Merrick Garland, the whole time the riots were going in, in 2020, and the whole time there were people outside protesting on the streets of the houses of the conservative members of the Supreme Court, violating federal statute, committing felonies, he chose, the chief law enforcement officer chose not to enforce the law and put justices, their wives and children in jeopardy. And they still are. Where did we go wrong? What, what happened that we lost our, our belief in what it is we are trying to accomplish as a nation? What happened when we decided that we didn't have to obey the law? What happens when we can destroy other people's property with no consequences? Can I answer you? Sure. <laughs> because your people, the American people, the parents, failed completely in doing their job as parents. They didn't okay. supervise the education. They didn't bring up children with self-respect and responsibility. I don't blame it on the politicians. I was looking at some of the articles I, I, I had with James 14 years ago. 14 years ago. I said 14 years ago, you are going to fail, not you, the American people, because the parents are not getting involved in the education of their children. When the parents are not getting involved, they don't know what the teachers are teaching them. And the teachers have got a free hand for 12 years. You have generation after generation coming up shit. Absolutely. I yeah. don't blame it on the politicians, yeah. honestly. Even I, today, I, I blame it on the parents. I absolutely, totally agree with you. I have been saying for some time, time, that the reason why we're in the state we're in today is because of greed. When the men came home from the Second World War and they found out that the wives had jobs in the factories building tanks and airplanes and rifles and everything else, that if, gee, if mom and dad both worked the family would have a lot more money and could have a lot more stuff. An extra car, bigger house, good vacation. And in the decision of letting mom go to work, 
we decided to abandon our children and turn them over to the school teacher to educate them and take care of them. It was only as a result of the pandemic and the parents began to see what was going on, has been going on in the classrooms and what teachers are teaching our children, did they rebel. But it's their fault. They abdicated their responsibility to raising their children as good citizens in the United States to the classroom teachers and the teachers unions. And they took it and ran with it and ran with it. And now they are a very powerful organization. And do all of the teachers feel the same way? No. But enough of them have decided that what the unions wanted to do in terms of social engineering and everything else, they went along with it. You know, it's it, Jim, you re might remember the story recently where this teacher, first grade teacher, was trying to teach her children basic colors. And she, do, she chose to do that by using emojis. However, the emojis that she chose were of pregnant men in their sweaters of different colors. And, and she ultimately got fired. But where was the supervision? Where was the supervision of that teacher that allowed her the ability to fill the minds of these young people about men being pregnant? And we have AOC talking about not women, menstruating people. That's who she's talking about. Um, for God's sake, to even mention her name. AOC. <laughs> yeah, I can't. You would think you're talking about Albert Einstein. You are talking about a degenerate human being. She has not even two brain cells of logic. She knows nothing about the Constitution. She knows nothing about democracy. She knows nothing about climate. And yet, she is put on a pedestal. Why? Because you have a corrupt media, you have a corrupt legal system. I mean, really corrupt, my God. You know, when they, when they more, about What's important, IQ, what's going on is that you have a significant portion of America that doesn't have a moral foundation, doesn't have a legal foundation. 40, 40%. Yes, 40% of the Americans have got absolutely no idea. None, zero. Right. 40% is a big number. Yeah. What happened to our guest, James? I sent him a, a, a message. Hey, hey, hey. He's not Who responded. Cares? We had a better so. time. <laughs> we were supposed to have on today uh, Matt Buff from The Buff Show, who is uh, on AM 950 and 94.9 FM, The Answer in Orlando. Mm. I sent him a link, and he's... I said, hey, you're checking in. And he says, hello. And so I sent him the Skype link and nothing. <laughs> mm. <laughs> However, so me, I, think, I think we had a better conversation here. Okay, so let me, let, me, let me finish this up. With, Go ahead, my friend. Go ahead. I want to finish this up because I'm, I'm, I'm the broker that put this together. 
On Black and Whites, we have a show called Moms Across America, a very popular yep. show. Yep. Three women who talk about all the things that are important to moms. And um, we had an opportunity to, to have a conversation with the executive director of the Ashcroft Center, which is associated on the campus of Ashland University in Ashland, Ohio. They're an organization that their principal objective is to try and teach children of all ages, adults, anybody, about the founding documents of this country, the Declaration of Independence That's and awesome. the Constitution and the Gettysburg Address and all these things that help form and formulate this nation. So we entered into a, an arrangement with them that starts tomorrow on the Tomorrow Show, and we're creating a program called Hamburgers, Hot Dogs, and the Declaration of Independence. We're gonna encourage people to, on their 4th of July celebration, to create a, an opportunity to have this pamphlet, <laughs> which is, comes from the Ashbrook Foundation, and it has these all the controlling documents that were important to the founding of our country. They get it for free, and we're starting off with the Declaration of Independence, and we're saying, read it. Have somebody read it at your barbecue and just see what happens. Talk to people about it. See what they think. What kind of a conversation. We're working with Ashcroft to go out and start the revival of where this nation came from by providing opportunities to learn. And we're giving the booklets away free. And they can go to getmyconstitution.com. That's getmyconstitution.com, or they can go to blacksandwhites.us and go to the Moms Across America landing page and get a link for it. But it's free, uh, and they we're talking about taking it to entire schools and talking about a program that we can reach out all over the country. And we're starting that tomorrow. Get my Constitution. Com. Well done. Congratulations. So IQ. I, I sent you a link, Jim. Uh, I sent you a, not a link, I sent you a 49-second video. Yes, and I got I'll, that. I'll put the, Can you put that on your website? I am planning on it. I. Uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a great video. And um, we have a longer version, which will be on, on Blacks and Whites. And it's the host of Moms Across America talking about the program along with Jeff, the executive director from them. And it's, it's a nice piece, but the, the short piece is really gets hold of you. Uh, we have next week, starting on the 4th of July, the gentleman who is the author of um, a, a new book that literally sold out in hardcover in two weeks. And it's called 56. It's the story of the 56 men who pledged their lives and their treasure to get this country to be launched. And it's the story of those 56 men. He was, he's on, it's a great interview and he will be on all week next week in our spotlight. And so um, we're trying to, again, trying to help people 
understand we we if we don't teach our children history, good, bad, or ugly, we're not doing the right thing to raise them to be good patriotic American citizens. Will you send me the link? Yes, sure. Please. Okay. God bless you both. You take yes, care. Yes. I will talk to you guys next week. Thank you, gentlemen. There they go. Thank you. That's Thank IQ Al Rizzoli, Dan Perkins. We're getting a big call in me, is what they're doing. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.